Hello, my name is Dave Gonzalez, and I haven't read any of the books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm Joanna Robinson. I've read every book in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. And I'm Neil Miller, and I have also read all of those books. We are headed back to Westeros to cover the Game of Thrones spinoff series, House of the Dragon. We'll be answering your questions, so send us a raven at trialbycontent at gmail.com. Take some bread and salt and join us Thursdays on the Trial by Content feed. And don't worry, you're safe. The Reigns of Castamere hasn't even been written yet. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, the boy in the belly, it's Andy Greenwald. It's dark. It's all dark. dark. This is like our going to be our most listened to podcast of fiscal 22. And we're yeah, starting but like, with would that. You, I mean, what, what was like in House of the Dragon, Ep 1, Season 1, yeah. did you find any like light notes that you'd like me to like memify as your intro? I like it. I like it when the doomed queen is like, you reek of dragon. Okay. He reeks of dragon. One. It's Andy Thank Greenwald. You. I'm Chris Ryan. It's House of the Dragon. We're recapping this tonight. As a programming note, I'm also hosting Talk the Thrones with Mallory Rubin and Joanna Robinson. That is going to be much more of a deep dive into the granular aspects of Westeros, those two geniuses telling me what I don't understand about Targaryen family business, etc. Andy and I are, are are obviously old hands when it comes to talking about the Martinverse. Uh, but By the we're... way, I, I am honored to be the Katie Lee Joel of Talk the Thrones. For people who don't know, she was the first season host of Top Chef. And she's before, on, she's uh, on she was re- Food Network? I think so, but she was replaced by Padma, and nobody gotcha. talks about her season. So that was me. That's me with Talk the Thrones, and I love it. I love it. <laughs> you are the, the seat is warm. It's always yours <laughs> it's if you okay. want it. The Iron Throne is warm. Um, yeah, we've been doing this for a minute, and now we're back. Yeah, and I wanted to f- ask you to start off with, so we were lucky enough to see this uh, episode a little while ago, and then obviously checked it out with everybody who just saw it tonight. We'll be talking about spoilers for this episode, but because Andy and I are, again, not big bookheads, I mean, we, we read just uh, not Game of Thrones related material. We have no idea where this thing is going or what's going to happen. I think obviously you can pick up, you know, radio <laughs> waves out there. Is this the time I can promote my new podcast that's just about Rachel Cusk's outline trilogy? <laughs> I read the books. Are you going to torpedo this pod? <laughs> yes. 
Yes, but not I am. because you don't like the show. You like the no, show. No, not only that, I like the show. I'm excited to talk about the show. And I also just think, to be clear, not only have we not read, as usual, the supplemental materials, the George R. R. Martin original sacred texts, unlike some of the reviews that I have noticed are starting to float out there, mm-hmm. we have not watched past this premiere. Like, I no. think we really enjoy going week to week on a show like this. And so today's podcast is absolutely, uh, we are in sync with the viewers. We have not watched more than you have. Yes. And so I wanted to ask you to start with, so we got a chance to see this and, and not not for nothing, but we saw it on a bigger screen. We saw it yes. on, a, on a big screen. And uh, and then we watched it on like the you know regular televisions. I was wondering if we could start with, did you feel like the story, the episode specifically, that the episode fit the screen, both mm-hmm. in terms of what you were expecting, but also what obviously HBO is hoping for, what I think lots of people out there who are like, man, I'd love like just just a swords and shields and dragons and and guys and ladies working it all out in court. Uh, I guess that would be She-Hulk. But, you know, like, you know... The, like, <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? It's, I'm still too tender. What did you think of the episode in, in terms of your expectations for it? Well, I think that's a great place to start because expectations are kind of the name of this game, not Game of Thrones. Um a lot, perhaps too much of our conversation about TV over the last year, two years, three years is about where the industry is, which is trying to triangulate uh, an almost impossible balance between um, audience expectation, uh, corporate ambition, and then creativity, mm-hmm. right? Like trying to please all three quadrants. And there aren't three quadrants, by the way. I did take math years ago. <laughs> uh, three points on the triangle. Shout out the um, Philadelphia school system. <laughs> yeah, they did great. They did great. Um, and I keep finding the products wanting because of that. Like it's just too many different masters to serve in order to make something that ultimately is entertaining. And so... I have to say my first feeling in watching this show wasn't uh, that I'm just, I'm relieved that I'm done having children, but that broadly speaking, they pulled it off to a degree that really, really impresses me. Now, is the goal to impress? Is the goal to be respected or to be admired for what you've done from a structural IP point of view? I'm not sure, but that is part of it because I am not necessarily representative of the audience and that I think that there's a large swath of the TV viewing audience who's like, I loved having Game of Thrones on my screen. I just want more. I said this to you when we were sitting down to watch it the first time. I don't know if I want to go back to Westeros. Mm-hmm. You know, like I felt we spent a lot of time there. Yeah. And we had some highs and we had some we had some high highs and some low lows. And I don't have the yearning necessarily for that sort of storytelling that even in my snarkiest pits of jaded despair I like superhero stuff. I just it just kind of speaks to me, and like you know, and I and I I can still get around to the idea of it. So I went into this being like, I think I'm good, and I left it feeling uh, the first viewing and the second viewing really, really heartened and impressed that the show not just made a case for a return to Westeros, but a case for itself as a TV series going forward. Mm-hmm. That is a really high bar, and I think that the show. I don't know if it sailed over it on the back of a beautiful scaled dragon, but I think it cleared the bar. You know, I respected it and I enjoyed it. And I have to say, I don't know if I was, I didn't think, I, I wasn't predicting that going in. Yeah. I wasn't yeah, predicting yeah. it. You know, I, what I like the most about this episode, um, and I guess the series so far is obviously, I just feel like it's steering into the skid. Um, mm-hmm. 
it's not running from what it is, both in terms of Miguel Sapochnik coming back and directing and being the sort of producing director of the series. Uh, it looks like Game of Thrones. There are obviously some mm-hmm. differences, but it it aesthetically feels similar to Game of Thrones. Uh, probably the peak of Game of Thrones in a lot of ways, that middle run, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also felt like they're not dumb, man. They mention Daenerys Targaryen in the title card. They yep. have the music playing over the uh, the first sort of succession announcement that they have. Like it's, they are it, it's, like it's not just the what? music. I don't want to jump on you, just but I just want to say like I couldn't get over how subtle and ultimately brilliant that is. That you have Ramin Jawadi's music playing and it's original music written for the show, but in that opening shot of the dragon flying high over uh, the Red Keep, or I don't boy, I'm going to get this stuff wrong without Mallory and Jason here, but the music is playing an original piece, but in mm-hmm. the background on a, at a slightly different key is that dun, 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 and it's there and it's doing the job that the show is also doing. It's reminding you, it's connecting you while it's suggesting something new. I mean, that is incredibly high degree of difficulty and it, yeah. and it, and it gets you right into it. The dragons is another thing. You know what I mean? Like, I think that the dragon, like most shows working within like this connected IP style of storytelling, I think hold the viewer at arm's distance for as long as possible before they give them the serotonin hit of, and you remember this character, they're back. And I, you and I have sort of started to joke around about like some of the people that show up in Marvel and Star Wars stuff where we're like, oh, that guy who was also at Moss Eisley, we're supposed to have like a, a mm-hmm. day off to celebrate his return to the show, okay? But no idea. Um, when it comes to Thrones, I felt like... Almost more like the way I felt like when I watched like the Rogue One trailer and I was, you saw like the destroyer crossing like the shadow of the Death Star. And I was like, oh, it turns out I in fact do respond to this material (laughs) quite strongly. And I felt that way watching the dragon flying over King's Landing. I felt that way seeing like a, uh, a royal court assembled. I felt that way when I saw the Iron Throne. And then you mix in the fact that they, I, I wouldn't want to say didn't take any chances because I think that there are some big swings with the casting, mm-hmm. but they really cast it smart. They yep. got very dependable. I saw in the Guardian review of the show that everyone who wasn't on the previous Game of Thrones or currently on The Crown is in this show. Yes. <laughs> and it's yes. like, yeah, well, you draft from like, dr- draft from a Power 5 school. You know what I mean? Get the real blue chip people in here to do this kind of dialogue and make it seem convincing. And Patty Constantine and and Eve Best and, you know, Steve Toussaint, like they, they've got really, really good performers because that's what the first series had. They had these, the Charles Dances, the Peter Dinklage's there to make this shit seem believable. Well, let's run it. Let's run the tape back a little bit and think about the fact that Game of Thrones was such a phenomenon that bridged two eras of television so profoundly because when it started, there was a lot of conversation about okay, this is an HBO show. This is how HBO will engage with the rising genre subculture, right? It is essentially a dynamic power struggle family show uh, with swears and nudity, but also dragons, right? Eventually. Um, By the end of the show's run, it was emblematic of what all culture had become, you know, a sort of global monolithic, indulgence that people were totally obsessed with. And it eclipsed HBO programming. I mean, HBO couldn't, has succession, you know, probably the best show on TV and and certainly recognized as such by people who are in the know and by the Emmys and things like that. But like, 
it's not even in the same, it's not playing the same sport in terms mm-hmm. of what Game of Thrones meant to people around the world. So the I, the necessity, I don't know if it's a necessity, but like it, it, HBO needed to keep this going. And whether AT&T was in charge or Discovery is now in charge, like they, they had a live one here. You know, they had and were sitting on what all these companies require. And so the conversations that went on in the executive suites must have been fascinating because despite having all of those seasons and all those episodes and hours of Game of Thrones, they had to have a foundational conversation about, well, wait, what is this? What is this for us as not the show that um, David Benioff and Dan Weiss made? Mm -hmm. What is this as a giant overarching piece of IP that is going to help define us and define our success for the next next few decades? And I think it's instructive. Again, we haven't seen, and probably I think we'll never see, the busted pilot that they mm-hmm. made for a show that starred Naomi Watts. The Long Night. Was, the Long Night. The Long Night, or it was called show. Blood Moon, or yeah. it was sort of, it was the working or filming title, unclear. But from everything we've heard about it, and I think you and I have both seen parts of the script or the scripts and have heard, talked to people who have seen it, it was a I've pretty radical. I've seen the All-22, the, all the coach's tape. You know, just like oh, yeah. Over, yeah. <laughs> you you drove to uh to to uh to the link at like four in the morning with all the other yeah. offensive line coaches and just r- crutch crunch tape, crunch, saw it all. Crunch blood um, tape. I I think the takeaway was that it was again, I don't know if this is representative of uh arrogance or just HBO's earned confidence that they were like, We're HBO. We don't need to clone something. We can reinvent, we can iterate, we can say Game of Thrones is this now and do something radically different and get both the audience that we had earned over time and the respect that we always get for trying new things. And apparently it, it didn't work. And so there was a retrenchment. And I, you know, again, I'm this is not me speaking as like a, a, a creatively minded person. This is me speaking as someone trying to like think about the business of it. And you kind of have to play the hits to a degree, right? Mm-hmm. You have to give something, especially if it's going to be the first, and there are many other shows. I don't know if there are many. There are a number of other potential shows and spinoffs in development that I'm sure we'll talk about as we cover the show over the next few weeks. They needed something that felt f- kind of familiar. Regressive. Maybe it, regressive. It, like maybe not regressive, regressive in like in, in its in its uh, worldview, but I, it's funny you should bring this up because I wanted to ask you about this. I think one of the things that uh, like we keep coming back to when we talk about a lot of these IP shows is, well, you know, it's the sandbox. And like, what it mm-hmm. really is, is a test of the filmmakers or the writers to see how far you can push things and like what you can do within this, within this particular sandbox. Can you make, in the case of She-Hulk, like a legal drama? Can you make, or a legal dramedy? And can, Comedy, yeah. Yeah. And can you make a psychedelic, you know, meditation on loneliness for Loki? And can you do this or that? And then you have the more like, you get sometimes you get people who get into the sandbox and you're like, you know what's good? Sand. And they make the Mandalorian. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, like That's you get people well who are said. basically going back to yeah. the text. And I think aside from George R. Martin's relationship to this series, which is apparently much more present mm-hmm. than it was at the end of uh, Game mm-hmm. of Thrones, I think Ryan Condal and, and Miguel Sapochnik are like, what is it that people like about Game of Thrones? And I will admit, while watching this show, for the first time, there was a point at which I was like, boy, they're keeping it tight. Like, boy, they're, they're this is like a slightly poker face show and I, I almost wonder whether we're watching something where no one wants to fuck up 
you know, no one wants to be the, no, no one uh-huh. scene wants to be the scene that's like, this is different. And the thing that I actually responded to, and I, you know, it's very hard on podcasts to describe physical, uh, just gestures. But if people remember the meme of Bill Simmons doing draft night coverage, the night the Celtics drafted James Young, and he just gives that little fist pump. I gave the same <laughs> fist pump when, uh, Matt Smith called Reese Eifens a cunt. Because yep. <laughs> I was like, good, let's go. Let's have some fun. Yeah. Let's let Matt Smith cook a little bit. This guy's going to start throwing around the C word. You know, like it's, it felt like that was when the episode for me, and there, a lot happens before that, but that's where the episode started to feel like a little bit like we're levitating a little. I agree. I think that a lot of attention is going to be rightly paid to the fact that Miguel Sapochnik, who is, you know, I think, respected if, and if not adored by Game of Thrones fans for his direction of some of the biggest, most memorable action set piece episodes, knows how to make Game of Thrones. He knows how to, in the other people involved in the show, they know how to physically produce a program mm-hmm. that codes and presents as Game of Thrones. The And I think we'll probably return to it, but the, the King's Tournament, the jousting scene is as visceral as anything on the original series, and you are just back in it. You're like, this is a world that we've been watching versions of for as long as we've been alive and, you know, even, even longer. If you, if you saw Camelot on Broadway, you recognize people not yes. using contractions and wearing armor. But this version of it is purely Game of Thrones. And that's, just the that's jousting the before the NBA put hand-checking rules in. You know, that's it is 100% is how we really, grew up. It, really it's bully ball. Defense. It's NBA. It's 90s Pat Riley Knicks. I think, to me, the thing that I walked away... And it's, I, I don't know, I find it interesting whenever our language is more, like, respectful. But I do think this is hard. This yes. was hard to do. And uh, before we get into the specifics of the plot and character, I was just cheered to realize that everyone involved seems to understand on a very granular level. In the same way that we used to talk about Kevin Feige knew Marvel characters and could reduce them to a, a logline that would translate around the world, even if you had never heard the name Tony Stark before uh, Robert Downey Jr. suited up. They seem to understand that what Game of Thrones has in its pocket that these other contenders and potentially pretenders don't have, uh, not just for the Iron Throne, but for the the belt of like, this is what fantasy or genre storytelling should be on the streaming prestige era of television. They understand that they have access to the best actors and best mm-hmm. cast, and they let them go. And you've already mentioned Patty Considine, and you mentioned Matt Smith, and it goes up and down the, the call sheet. Like, this, these are these are big-time talents, and they're exciting to watch, and they elevate the material. But the other one, and I had kind of forgotten this. I'd gotten away from it, both because it's been a couple years since the finale and even more years since stuff like The Red Wedding. Game of Thrones is gnarly as fuck. Like, it is, and yeah. it always has been. And that's what got it attention. Now, does that mean it's shocking or gratuitous? I don't, sometimes maybe. That's not the argument I'm trying to make now. I'm just saying they remember that. And so they have staged in the middle of this episode a birthing scene that I will never watch again. <laughs> Congratulations. It was, it's excruciating. And it's intentionally excruciating. Yes. And, you know, we can, I think it would be interesting again to have, when we get to have creative conversations with people involved in the show, how many different cuts, I promise no pun intended, were made of that scene. How far to push it, how much to show, what they were communicating. But Yeah, even is, the choice to juxtapose it with the sort yeah. of masculine brutality of the, the jousting scenes and like what, you know, the, the battlefield of the womb is obviously like yeah. a, 
a, a sort of bullet point for this episode. It's mentioned a couple of times within it. And who better to litigate that idea than two guys named Ryan, Miguel, and then later Andy and Chris? <laughs> yes, we're we are we are going to look. I finished. This is going to hurt. Politics. <laughs> oh yeah, you're way ahead of me. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean, like that. Like this is a Game of Thrones show, mm-hmm. and. I, you know, we haven't talked to, to to Casey at HBO or anybody about this, but my feeling is, even though, and I've and I and I haven't been doing this recently, but I did like scan the early notices and reviews, and they haven't been uniformly positive. But my guess is, what HBO wanted the consensus to be was, oh, I've got a Game of Thrones show back. They'll have time to prove whether it's worthwhile or if it's better or if it's just as good, whatever. They wanted to reestablish a baseline, and just by that metric. They're good. They yeah. did. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a calming. It was it was weird to describe it as calming, but that's what it was for me. It was like, oh, mm-hmm. they know what they're doing. Like this mm-hmm. will this will get really interesting. Uh, we can go through bits of the episode here. Yeah, I have a couple of uh, of it things written down that I wanted to to chat with you about. You know that I love it when you write things down for a podcast because that means fifty percent of us have written something down for the podcast. What's uh, what are we talking about in that early scene with um? When Viserys is is named uh, king, right over okay. over, yep. I guess his cousin Rhaenyra. What's up with election integrity in Westeros back then? So we're just mm. getting that in a scroll, and that's in a box. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, that is a Dominion scroll. You know what I mean? And <laughs> so I don't know what whose hands touched that scroll before, but <laughs> you I know there's a lawyer you. at Dominion right now being like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, I know we're gonna. <laughs> we're going to get a cease and desist. Hey, uh, Bill, they are suing you for a billion dollars. But on the plus side, Chris remembered the time you were doing the draft and fist pumped. So it's, you know, win-lose. Um, yeah, again, like, w- w- this is so funny. We could talk about it in two ways. You pointed out already that the show begins with, um, you know... Did uh, I already screw up Rhaenyra and Rhaenys? I'm sure you did. I think I just did. Rhaenys is the cousin of, of Viserys... It's Rainus? And Harris, yeah. Okay. Is it? <laughs> oh, Rainus. Yeah, yeah, sure. I remember her. Yeah, she's she's the cousin. She's the queen who never was, right? Yes. Yeah, I she, liked her. I, 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 what if I was just like, I love her? <laughs> what, what if, if I, I just went all in <laughs> on Queen Rainus after one hour? Like, what if I did a draft fist pump and I was just like, she's the face of my franchise. If I was doing an early Targaryen draft... I feel like that would be a successful podcast. Yeah, that would be a very Vivek-esque pick by you. <laughs> I think it would be a real like Stauskas, huh? Okay. No, no, she's Marvin Bagley. Like maybe we, maybe she's too young. She's toolsy, but yeah, eventually, you know, right? You you always have to pay potential. You know, yeah, still it's young. about fit. You got to find the right spot for her. <laughs> Is it about fit? So I, I was just going to say though that opening Chiron where it's just like. All these things happen, blah, 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 Targaryens. And then all the words fade except like 100 years before Daenerys. And we're like, yes. okay, thank you. Like that right. was such a smart decision. I think and the entire episode is like that. There yeah. is like, there's like a whole scene where Corlys comes in and he's like, there's a, all these free city tribes are getting together and marauding. Yeah. And we we got it. They're called like the, the tri, <laughs> I think, are they called the trifecta? They, they, they are called the Triangle Offense. Um, yeah, something like that. <laughs> the Jackson. Triad. The Triad Kingdom, something. Yeah. And Phil he's Jackson like, and has a, these guys playing ISO in the corner. <laughs> but there's a dude called the Crab Crusher, which I believe was your nickname during your New dude, England vacation you, last week. Don't step on my Crab Crush. It's the Crab Feeder, and he's in the Triarchy. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right, you, you just got totally this. took it. <laughs> um, sorry. I, 
That's like Stauskas, right? Like he I'm needs actually, the ball in his hands. Coming out of Maine, I'm the lobster baster. Oh, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> that's better. Um, I, I The reason I was going to also talk about the scene was not about potential voting irregularities, but just because like, I didn't feel it was enough, like with some prologue. And I know that I, I, I've been, I know not because we've seen, but because I've been, you know, I've read a little bit and I see some people in the cast who haven't shown up yet, that this show is going to move through time a little bit yes. differently than some other uh, Game of Thrones shows have. So, you know, we had the, the we had the flashback and then we're suddenly in a present where some of these things are established and, and Viserys has been king longer now. But, you know, I, I thought that was fine. We get a sense of the fact that these weird uh, ruling Aryan Aryan tribe, like by Aryan Targaryen, by the way, I think is a character this season. Um, it's it's enough. It's enough history and backstory, and, and we kind of get it. That guy's at like a Targaryen family reunion, and they're just like, "What's your? It's Aryan Targaryen." Like, like, yeah, hey, we remember you, you know. And, and, and no, Aryan Targaryen is the one who's just sending them a lot of Facebook links. You know what I mean? It's just like, are we sure Jaehaerys' is- election was? was this secure? is what the news isn't telling us. Yes, um, but then yes. we're in it, right? And I like some, again, some cool links from Carrie Lake. I'd like to pass along. <laughs> it's, but but don't you think that again? It's an interesting play, and it's not dissimilar to the one that HBO did eleven years ago, where they were like, "We at that time this seems quaint," but they were like, "We're not sure our audience wants dragons breathing hellfire on trains of you know uh, uh, people," but we do think they like palace intrigue and. I think that's evergreen. No, in right? retrospect, that show, Game of Thrones was a show for people who ordinarily do not like high fantasy. Mm-hmm. And then they yep. were like, but I do like this because it's there's cursing and incest and, and intrigue and election integrity and all that stuff and poisoning kings. Election integrity, how dare and, you. Yeah. And, then, and then midway through or whatever, at the end of the first season, the dragons hatch. And you're like, by that point, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm pot committed to this. But like, this yep. is this is like the reverse. This is... There's dragon is in the first shot of the show. Basically, they will be a major part of this. Like all of the all of the stuff that was obscured. Hell, even the White Walkers are essentially mentioned in the end of this episode when uh, Viserys is telling Rhaenyra about his this vision that is sort mm-hmm. of like the birthright of the Targaryen mm-hmm. kings that they have to like protect against this long winter that might come. And that is, and I don't want to get us off the, the track of talking about the, the beat to beat and the actors and characters, but like that is, to me, in the first show, the dragons were the nuclear codes, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was something everyone was afraid of. And then it finally happened. To me, the more, I appreciated that this is when it's happening. Now we understand, you know, in, in the chronology of our show, but I, I'm not super into mentioning. I'm just imagining King right now. The White Walkers. Uh, dragon being absconded to Mar-a-Lago while you're talking. <laughs> well, they didn't take the dragon. They took the dragon plans and right. maybe the location of three to four eggs. My beautiful Just dragons. Just in case. Just <laughs> in case. These big, beautiful dragons. <laughs> um, because the actual invasion of the White Walkers and the Night King was kind of a, kind of a mess, right? Like it didn't, it wasn't the You weren't existential- saying that at hard home though. You were like, damn, no. Daniel? Like, yeah. It was amazing <laughs> until it was actually over when Arya was just like, here you go, and we're done. Right. Like that was disappointing ultimately. And so you can talk about that stuff as the existential threat looming for these characters, but I almost wish they didn't 
because it puts a hard punctuation at the end of the sentence and is the reminder that this is a prequel. And I'm not going to do the whole spiel that we used to do every year for Better Call Saul about the, you know, the, the, how he, having a prequel sort of nullifies some of the stakes and blah, blah, blah. Let's stay here. I understand mm-hmm. why in the early going we're, we're doing the handholding and connecting, but this does the, and maybe this is a good way to pivot back, which is to say, I am a viewer of the show that has absolutely no opinion about Targaryens broadly. Like I don't, I am neither for nor against. They, it's fine. They exist. They have very strange hair and hair choices. That's the way it is. After one hour of this show, I very much care about Viserys as played by Patty Considine. I very much care about uh, Rhaenyra as played by, at least in this episode, Millie Alcock, a different actress. Emmy, Emma Darcy will take over at some point. And I extremely care, not necessarily in an affectionate way, about Matt Smith as Damon. Right. And so the drama as centered on these characters, that's a TV show to me, and I'm excited about that. And that's a success. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A couple other things I wanted to hit that's from the episode itself. You know, and you can just take me anywhere you want to go here. You know, obviously we find out that like Damon is, is slotted. He's, he's slotted to take over once Viserys, I guess, dies from extreme sepsis from sitting in that throne. I wanted to ask you about dermatology back then. Incredible. Um, They seem stumped on that, you know, and I love the metaphor of like this power is poisoning him as it will almost everybody who sits in this chair at a certain point. I think you relegate that thing to like museum piece and get yourself like a, an Ames, but <laughs> or you Miller. adapt. Yeah. You know, when you go to the post office, if one goes to the post office, I know most podcast advertisements are telling you not to go to the post office, but, um, and then you see people who like sort paper. You just go time. to the post office to drop off all your ballots. <laughs> <laughs> well, after you've harvested them, you got to do something with You're them. Like I have all these ballots for Damon. Where do I send them? Hello. Um, if you work with paper all day, you're going to get paper cuts. And then you see people who have those little finger thimbles. Kaya, you know are we making about? too many election jokes? Uh, no, not enough. Okay. Thank you, Thank Kaya. You. Our, um, our ombudswoman has spoken. Um, but you know what I mean? Those little like rubber finger thimbles that people wear to avoid getting paper cuts? Yeah. Like, that's a sign of thoughtful workplace evolution. Yeah, yeah. So if you're going to sit on a chair made of swords you're going to have to wear more padded clothing. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I just feel like, or maybe since they drink all that great Dornish wine, when you pull out the cork, just stick it on the edge of one of the swords. Eventually, 
you're going to have a lovely conversation piece. It's swords and quirks. Right. I th- I think it was you know obviously there's a deeper meaning to his his injury. I thought that the um, just in general I loved the kind of um, sort of backroom. I get I would say like I guess it's so funny I I I almost want to say Game of Thrones esque backroom dealings, but it is <laughs> Game of Thrones. Back, yeah. Just like the fact that even his doctor is talking to Otto. You know what I mean? Played by Reese mm-hmm. Iverson. Like there there's like all this different. Uh, stage whispers going on about this guy's condition. I also thought in terms of just the characterization of Viserys, you know, when you first start the episode, it's not really clear what qualities he may or may not Mm -hmm. have to be a king. And it does seem Mm -hmm. like his, his time as king has been relatively ineffectual. It sounds like the city is kind of falling apart. But when it gets to that moment and he's working on his model, basically... Uh, when Otto so helpfully sends his daughter in to console him, I thought that that was like a really cool like glimpse at like who this character must be. I, I want to talk about him as a character. I have a couple more points on his weeping back wound. Oh yeah, I, I, when they harvest the pus from the king's open sore, and they're like, "We're gonna get this right to the citadel." Like, what is? What is the, like, does the raven have a little box, like a little ice box that says, like, you know, medical samples, no sharps, do not touch. And when it arrives, what are the maesters there thinking? And also, what do they do with it? Because it's the Middle Ages. Do you know what I mean? They're not throwing it in one of those like test tube separating things. Like, what are they doing? Are they just looking I, at it? They definitely got some dude chained up in there whose job is to drink king's pus. Yeah, <laughs> yes, just be that's like, what I'm oh, saying. Oh no! Try it on this guy. Yeah, this guy needs the, scale. <laughs> the other thing is like, what are our options here? And one guy's job is just to be like, we could burn it. And they're like, that's a really good strategy. It does remind me of one of my favorite periods of our friendship, which is when you got really into house. The show. Yeah. That has the show. I also got into house music at a certain point, but yeah, that's true. You got really into house MD and you were absolutely just like throw it, throw it, throw a hot towel on it. It was, I think we were, it would just be like, if there was ever a moment and you, and you, you've had these moments where you would balk at coming out with me in the mm-hmm. early 2000s in New York because you were like, I have sinus infection yeah. sure. or like whatever. And I would just be like, here's what you got to do. You got to get a nice cold towel and you cold put it on towel. your neck. Yeah, yeah, you put it on your neck and it changes your life. It's like that part in Die Hard where he's like, make knuckles with your toes on the carpet to get over jet lag. Yes. It's the cold towel on the neck is like this the solution for everything. You would be a grand maester in and that They would world. be if running would, through kings like left and right. Those guys would be dying on my watch constantly. He would just be like shrug and then just dunking another cloth into some <laughs> cold, cold water beneath the gate being like, this one's going to work. This one's going to work. I, I, I think that though, again, like you're looking at a show that is meant to be the first domino of something much larger. You look at what they invested in and it's not just that Patty Constantine is a great actor whom we like and even love in many things. It's that I, I I wouldn't think to cast him as the king, certainly as a Targaryen king, as we would come to expect them. You know, I think he, that he's a little more surprising. He's gentler. He's softer. And I think that that is working to the show's advantage. People think of him as not a mark, but definitely not as a threat. Yeah. They think of him as someone who can be spoken to a certain way or dealt with a certain way. And it runs counter to our expectations. And I think that's a that's a sign of something that is well-considered. You know, they weren't just like, have you ever been in a Royal Shakespeare production? Yes, Y slash N, would you like to move and be, a, would you like to commit the next decade to this show? It right. was more than that. 
he's an interesting actor because he's been in a hundred things that I like, but he's never the like knockdown, drag out, standout person right. in it. You know, like he's great in Born, he's great in Hot Fuzz, he's great in all this stuff. And then I think they're almost like he seems very in touch with what he's good at and like what he does in, in the sense mm-hmm. that like this is not a Matt Smith's getting all the home run the highlight reel stuff <laughs> you know like Patty Considine is essentially like, I'm pussing out of my back and like immediately giving up my crown yeah do you, what, um, what, what was I'm trying to remember exactly the, the ghost face lyric where he's just like <laughs> I have I, I, I keep a wild jungle cat and I feed him one chicken a day and that I didn't feed him today, you know? And like, that that's kind of what they did with Matt Smith before they brought him to set. I know. <laughs> they were like, Matt, they were like, Matt, what do you love doing? And he's just like, I don't know, I like my family and I like acting. And they were like, we're going to quarantine you for two weeks from both. Yeah. So when you're, when you're on set, like, that is, first of all, Matt Smith, like, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when they were like, we've cast this gawky unknown as Doctor Who that he had that run and was beloved for that part and then did the thing that I think some of the best actors do, which is like, I have been the face of something and now I'm just going to be interesting for the rest of my career. And then, kind and then of, he was in Morbius. Yeah. Kind of love that. <laughs> well, but again, if you are the actor who is, quote, interesting, that is a win for you. That can be like, a look, I was just having a laugh. I'm trying things, right? Sure, sure. Um, I, I, I am all in on him in this and he is on one in this. Let's talk about this part. Let's talk about like what it does for the show to have the, yeah. the wild card calls coming from inside the house. house and this is the one that I thought his role and oh, his and by character. The way, I, not just Littlefinger and uh, Jamie Lannister, also Ramsey Bolton. You know what I mean? Like all of it turned up. Yeah, it's like the idea that he is already inside rather than this outside agitator, I assume he'll probably wind up being ostracized from the, the kingdom. But I, you know, he has that weird, like, slightly charged chemistry with with Rhaenyra. You know what I mean? Like, there's like kind of like they're they're already throwing out some like red meat to the to the truly degenerate Thrones fans. They're not throwing out red meat; they're loading it onto carts. He's he's personally <laughs> harvesting the reddest of meats. Just out on the city streets, but he, you know what he he gets he gets bested at that tournament. Also, side note, like that guy legitimately could be a Republican candidate for mayor of New York. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like they nominated Curtis Slewa. Like he, like seriously, the dude who wears a beret and is like, I have you forty cats to patrol the Angels? subway. Yeah, like that 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 guy. God bless him. The, he he was the legitimate candidate. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Um, the tournament I thought was funny because uh, there's like a 50% chance you get your face split open in that thing. Like it was unclear yeah. what was like fight to the death and what was just like, ah, damn, you, you got me there. I, I fell off my horse for a second. Like, Yeah, there's, it, it is a really interesting mix of like the Rucker, like the summer <laughs> basketball tournament, but then also Fallujah at yeah. the same time. <laughs> yes. It's surprising. Um, but I did enjoy that was like they they did a really good job in this show of finding settings that were illustrative of larger ideas in the show and then having the characters like uh you know Eve Best's discussion about like 
guys are all full of seed when they come here. And like, you know, just like the idea that they're setting up this, uh, it's so funny to be a 44 year old saying that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just loved when she said that. <laughs> um, I just thought that they found good moments to, to illustrate the kind of the, the gender dynamics, the, the idea that this, like that she, this is a woman who would never have had the chance to be queen. Mm-hmm. She's about to find out that, you know, her niece, I guess is going to be, uh, is going to become, is going to become queen. It, it was, it was just really well done in that regard. I really liked, I mean, you mentioned Eve Best from my favorite character, apparently Rainus, who's going to be a presence throughout the season. I really like Sean Brooks' performance as Emma, who is the queen uh, for at least the length of this episode. Also, shout out to George R. R. Martin, because I thought that Emma is the new Kevin for me. Because remember, one of my hobby horses was yes. the fact that like clearly Every he once ran in a out while of names. He would run out of names. <laughs> and it was like Kevin Lannister. And then I yeah. see it on the Wikipedia and it's Kevon. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's K-E-V-A-N. I'm like, okay, so you just changed the letter. I was like, oh, okay. So there's, there's the, the, the Targaryen queen is Emma. That's fine. That's it's fine. A-E, and you find right? out it's A-E-M-M-A. Yeah. Incredible. She really, and she McBained out that, that like entire episode. Oh yeah, she when she when she appears at her face, she's couch, like, "I've lost like, five children in ten years, and this will be my last go round." Yeah, no, I was pretty sure she was penciled in as a series reg at that point. <laughs> um, but no, but for real, like I, 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 I'm curious how this develops because, in the larger scheme of things, it is fair to say the world, but more specifically, the culture has changed in the 10, 11 years now since Game of Thrones premiered, and. Anything in terms of gender politics, the representation of women, or even, you know, just in terms of having intimacy coordinators and being more considerate about the nudity, all of that has shifted rather radically, and I think for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, to, it is one thing, however, in a pitch meeting, in a marketing document, in an interview on the red carpet to talk about the real battleground now is the womb. Like, okay, that's a provocative idea. How you actually execute that in the, in the narrative of the show is another thing entirely. So I, I, I am curious about that and their commitment to it. But that said, through this episode, I did appreciate that the character of Emma is one of, if not the most important character in this episode in terms of what her, what her presence gives yeah, to it. Yeah, she's certainly galvanizing. Yeah, The Renera piece is really interesting too, because you know, you could be just super fanboy about it and be like, and again, I don't know what happens to this character, even, you know, as she gets recast and grows older and takes the throne, I assume. But you could be fanboy about it and be like, oh, this is interesting because it adds some context and credence to Daenerys' claim to the throne. The Targaryens did elevate women. They have ruled before. Again, this is based on nothing but supposition of what we've seen. Or you could be like her desires, her struggles, the society's expectations of her are, as you said about Matt Smith's character, built into the show. It is not Arya as the arguably co-fifth lead of a multi-season drama reckoning with what it would mean to be a young woman in this world. This is the show. Yeah. And so in that sense, I'm interested in that, but I also appreciate the planning that went into building those things within the walls of the show we already have. Not just because it is just structurally different than Game of Thrones, which was like, hey guys, guess what? We're going to be telling 10 shows at once for eight years. Can you keep up? And the answer was yes. It's that there are going to be, A, we have to care about these characters enough to take the journey before we start smashing crabs or whatever it is that we're about to do later in the season. But also, they are planning this differently. When they greenlit Game of Thrones, they were like, Game of Thrones is Game of Thrones. Now, they greenlight House of the Dragon. 
that 10,000 ships anecdote that Allison talks about, or that yeah. Allison and Rhaenyra talks about, that was a proposed spinoff itself and may still be. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm really excited, uh, as everybody knows, because of my love of certain <laughs> characters in the first series, that Steve Dusan is playing a sea snake, right? That there, that we may have some pirate talk on the show. Yeah. But he's here on this show, but his presence and his success, either as a character or as a performer, might speak to more sea snake business in the future. So it's both canny from a business and a storytelling perspective that they have kept the aperture relatively small, but that they've, within that lens, they've included a lot of the major planks that they want to be uh, handling. And I think they have the mixing board just right. Like, you know, at the end of the episode, when Rhaenyra's being crowned and like, Rick and Stark, and I didn't catch the first name of the Baratheon guy who's getting who's pledging yeah. his fealty. Obviously, those people will not be pledging their fealty long term, like 170 years into the future, to the Targaryens. So it's interesting to see just like the echoes of the future fi- showing up in this show. Did you have anything else you wanted to chat about? Because we could wrap it up there. I don't really see, you know, I mean, like for me, I think that one of the things that I would be looking forward to. Uh, mm-hmm. for this series and it's going to require patience I think from us obviously but just from audience members in general is waiting for the Briens of Tarths you know like waiting yes. for that character to show up maybe in the this end of the right. yeah like later on that all of a sudden changes up the palette of the show and changes up the sort of um, you know emotional character of the show and that's what Game of Thrones did so well is just balance the 18 usual people that you were kind of following throughout and then also bring in Pedro Pascal and also bring in this person for a season or two and you're just like, oh my God, this is like completely changed how I watch this. I think that's the most important point, which is that one of the most impressive and I think underappreciated things about Game of Thrones is that because of its sprawl, ask 20 fans of the series who their favorite character was and you'll get 20 different answers. Yeah. And you could be watching it quite honestly, in completely different ways. You could watch that series as you, you're because you're rooting for Brienne or you're rooting for Arya or you're hoping they'll run into each other. And then to your point, like, oh, I remember The Hound. Like the Hound's arc over multiple seasons is as surprising and rich as main characters arcs on more lauded shows, you know? And that's something that you can do when you have, it's not a mothership, there's just one ship. Right. That's not where we are anymore. And so coming out of this one episode, which again is not representative, it's one episode of something that is going to run for multiple seasons, I think. I don't, other than Matt Smith, whose who's performance I love, I don't have a favorite character here. I mean, we haven't talked about Reese Ifans, whom I love, and I love him as an actor, and I love him as Otto. I think he's just, again, outclassing the part already, which is exciting to see. But I don't have like a fave character that I'm excited about. The no, show I mean, that, that, from, that really only kicked in like two, four seasons in where it was like, who's well, going to get the throne? You know, all well, that the Brienne stuff is, part did, but yeah. the Tyrion piece was there from the beginning. Like, sure. this guy's funny and interesting and likes to have a good time. And so uh, he's helping me acclimate here. And this show is assuming that you have bought into the idea of either Game of Thrones or The Crown. And you, so you'll find something to enjoy here. So that piece I get, and criticism of that, that lack of spark also makes sense to me. But I think the biggest, again, I'll just go back to it. I just feel like in the numbers will be the numbers, and we'll see what HBO chooses to share or not share. And they may have done it by the time this podcast drops, or by the time you're listening to it anyway, if you're listening to it on Monday. 
But I think the bigger thing is, is that Game of Thrones is back in our lives. This isn't the show Game of Thrones, but the world is, and they did that. Yes. And so that is why I guess that if, if, if during the course of this week, the week after the premiere, you see interviews or postscripts or check-ins with Casey Ploys or HBO or Ryan Condal, like I think everyone's going to be feeling really good because they drove this crazy thing to its destination, which, by the way, was the starters line. <laughs> I know. But they got there. It's such a long way to go. Andy, it was great to see you. It's great to be produced by Kaya McMullen tonight. Uh, we will be back. Oh, we're not on Thursday, aren't we? We're not, we're not no, doing a show I, on Thursday. I, I tried to warn people this, but I, I feel like it's be- they trust you more. You know what I mean? Like, like you're, I assure you're the you voice. that we're not doing a show on Thursday. We will be back next Sunday night to talk about Game of Thrones or next Monday to talk about Game of Thrones TBD. Uh, you can also check me out on Talk the Thrones with Mallory Rubin and Joanna Robinson. Please uh, check that out on the Ringerverse. And we'll be back with you in a week. I look forward to it. 